1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You are listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And uh, we gather like this every weekend. We're so pleased when you join us. And and so is Pete Paquette, because he's the engineer. He gets us on the air. And Andrew Hurtliska does the producing. In the first segment, I want to introduce you to Kim Collingsworth, award-winning Southern Gospel inspirational musical artist, part of the Collingsworth Musical Clan. Uh, Her book is called His Gift, My Story. And Kim, I am so pleased that uh, we get to connect here and get to talk on the radio. How are you doing?
3: I'm well, Pat, and thank you for having me.
2: Kim, how do you describe the ministry of the Collingsworth family?
3: Well, I would describe it as, uh, just as you say, the family. It is all about family and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just wrapping it up and summing it up uh, very simply. Uh, mom and dad, four kids, now four, three of the four children are married, uh, six grandbabies, three tour buses, and uh, we travel all over the United States into Canada and some into Europe, Uh, just spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, it is an incredible journey, Uh, just a real blessing to be a part of it. So, yeah, mom, dad, four kids, as I said, standing on stage, and all of the in-law kids are employed by the family ministry. And, uh, yes, quite an adventure, Pat.
2: Kim, how did it all start?
3: Well, my husband, Phil, 14 years of age, uh, was very impressed uh, listening to a record one day. Uh, of Henry and Hazel Slaughter. Oh my! <laughs> um, and it was a live record back in the day, and uh, of the, uh, Henry and Hazel and their three children. And Phil was sitting there and felt so impressed. And truly looking back, it was it was from God. Felt strongly impressed that the Lord kind of spoke to his heart and said, "That's what I want you to do with your family." Well, Phil was fourteen. How can you even get your mind around that? And Phil said, "As a fourteen-year-old kid, I broke down and cried." And long story short, he did nothing from that moment on but pursue a musical career in that he went to college, got a five year bachelor's degree uh in music education and trumpet performance from the conservatory of Cincinnati, and pursued it pat he was so intent on what he knew God had called him to do. he wouldn't even date anybody that didn't play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> So I met him. Um, you're going to, this is crazy to the audience, but I had just come out of the eighth grade. Uh, I had been playing the piano since I was a tiny little girl, the age of three. I uh, started playing for church when I was seven. Yes, that's a true story. And so when I met Phil, I was 14. He was 19. We were not allowed to date because I was too young and my daddy was very protective. And long story short, we wrote letters for three years. I got to have dates with him. By the time I turned 16, and I married him when I turned 17.
4: Oh,
2: my goodness, Kim.
3: Yes, I did. And 35 years later, here we are. But um, it's been an amazing journey. And so, yeah, it's it's all about family, as I said. And uh, we never dreamed we'd be doing it in this capacity. We were just, you know how uh, God gives you enough light sometimes just for the next step? And so we walked through an open door and then another and then another. Um, for the first 13 years of our ministry, uh, of our marriage, rather, my husband always had a side job. He worked in insurance, uh, health insurance, and um, he had a side job for, you know, financial security. But um, in, in 1999, he, he just really felt like God was saying, cut all ties and go to step out in faith and go full time. Mm. And we did. In 2000, January 1 of 2000, and here we are. We're in our 23rd year now.
2: Kim Collingsworth, uh, award-winning southern gospel music, and, and let me tell you, boy, she can she can pound that piano. It's unbelievable. Uh, t- <laughs> oh. t- tell tell me about your piano career, Kim, and how it evolved and how it developed, and 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 how you have to keep working at it even today.
3: Absolutely. Well, as I said, I've played since I was a very small little girl, and uh, it's kind of a unique story and. Um, I was three years old, sitting on a front seat of of our church. My father was the pastor of this little Westland Methodist church.
4: Mm.
3: And I, of course, at the age of three, I couldn't tell you anything he said in his sermon except one thing. He was preaching on the gift of wisdom that God gave to Solomon out of Proverbs. And I'll never forget that uh, he made a statement and said something like this. Solomon asked for a gift, and God graciously granted it. Well, I literally, something, a light went off in my little three year old mind, and I remember thinking that night, I'm going to do that. Mm. I'm going to do that. And my, um, we lived right across the parking lot from the church. Back in the day, they called it the parsonage. And my mother took all of us, and I have eight siblings, so we had a lot of children in our house. My mother took uh, all of us home that night after the sermon, and I literally, could think of nothing else. I ran upstairs. My mother got me dressed for bed, and I knelt down, and I've actually since taken my husband back to this spot, but I knelt down at the end of my bed, and I began to beg and plead, as only a little three-year-old could do, just please give me a gift like you gave that king my daddy was talking about tonight. Mm. Well, I remember my mother tucked me in, and you, you can't even make this stuff up. I mean, I I remember her tucking me in and me thinking, I wonder what I'll be when I wake up tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, you know, Pat, I woke up the next morning and I was nothing different, of course. But my mother can tell this story better than I can. Uh, it was Several weeks later, after dinner one night, she came in and she said, and I remember this night, my sister was playing the piano, and she said she came in and she found me replicating her recital piece. And I remember the night it happened. And she said to me, what are you doing? Who taught you how to do this? And I don't remember this response that my mother said, that I looked at her and said, well, my sister, was Sandy, was playing, and I wanted to play too. Yeah. And, Pat, honestly, that was the gift the Lord gave me, was the gift of music. I thought that I would be the wisest woman in the world because my daddy said Solomon was the wisest man. Well, I thought there's no woman like that, so that's going to be me. Well, you know that's a three year old mindset, but the Lord gave me the gift of music, and so uh, that's how it started. And I played. Mother said I played six to eight hours a day before ever went to first grade. Isn't that
4: fascinating? I was
3: obsessed. I was obsessed, and so here we are. By the time I was twelve, my father was the president of 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 a Bible college, and they came to me and asked if I would travel with the college groups that were the public relations, you know, face of the college. And so um, my daddy let me go. And so I never spent another summer at home from the time of 13 on. Mm. I, I, I traveled 10 weeks of summer with those college groups representing the college. And, of course, I was in the 8th grade and ninth grade. <laughs> I was a baby, really. But uh, looking back, the Lord was giving me experience for what I was going to do today. And mm. so uh, I've been really blessed in uh to be able to do what I do,
2: Kim Collingsworth. Uh, her book is "His Gift, My Story." Uh, Kim, I, uh, I I've seen you perform. Uh, the piano travels with you. How do you go about traveling a piano, and why is that important? <laughs> why is that important?
3: Well, um, my, it's my husband's idea. Let me say that out of the chute. Uh, he told me about ten years ago that he was tired of going to churches where. The piano had not been tuned, or perhaps, uh, you know, a lot of times we had uh, gotten into places where they didn't even have a piano. They just had a small keyboard. And so Phil was like, I'm done with that, because uh, he said we need a, a solid piano, something we can depend on every night. So that's how that started. Um, one promoter told us he gave us three months, and that wouldn't last. We would stop doing that. And 10 years later, we still carry the piano. Yeah. We carry a Yamaha seven foot six. Uh, grand piano it's tuned every night and uh, yeah so my husband is a visionary and I'll be honest I felt a little overwhelmed when he told me he would carry the grand piano but in answer to your question of how do we do it it's very simple within 15 minutes of us arriving that piano is on the stage it's in a case very tight tightly sealed case they pull the lid off they lower that thing down put the legs on put the pedals on and there it is, and within 15 minutes it's set up, and then the tuner shows up, and we're good to go.
2: Why does a piano need to be tuned every day?
3: Uh, the, not it doesn't typically, except that we move it around and change humidity. You know, the humidity changes from, from state to state and city to city, and so because of that, it takes the tuning out. And so just to make it to make sure it's you know precise every night, we have it tuned.
2: Kim, how do you um, play the piano uh, without any music sheets? Uh, well, it's just all practice. Or how does that how does that happen?
3: Well, back when I was playing for those college groups, I had yet to learn to sight read, but I could play anything by memory. If I heard it, I could memorize it, hmm. and that was just one of the gifts the Lord gave me to be able to understand music. And I don't say that in a sensational way, I don't say that in a braggadocious way, but it truly is something the Lord uh, has allowed me to do. And so back in the day when I played for those groups, they played from, um, you know, everything they did, they sight-read. And so I had to sight-read the accompaniment. Well, that was a problem because I didn't know how to sight-read when I was 12 and 13. And so, long story short, the, the music director would sit down and play it for me, and I would memorize it. And then I would sit down and play it back to him. And so back in the day, I just learned to put away in my brain files and files and files of arrangements and music. And so now that's what I do. I'll arrange the music. um, And, you know, we have uh, scored some of our music and put it where people could buy it and sight read it. But I don't. uh, It's all up in my brain. It's just in my brain, Pat.
2: Kim, have you ever thought about the uh, capability of the human brain. Uh, There's no computer that could even touch it. Uh, I'm fascinated by the human brain and its capabilities. What do you think?
3: I am very much the same, Pat. I have thought of that, and uh, one thing comes to my mind. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. And um, it's fascinating to me what the mind can do, and, of course, you think of, People like Einstein, and you think of, uh, you know, people that have invented so many incredible things, and these, com- these people that, you know, work on computers, and these technical people, their minds, fascinating to me. And uh, God is just, you know, he's the master craftsman, Pat.
2: Kim, what do you say to parents whose children hate music lessons and fight it? Uh, what, do you, what what's your advice to them?
3: Well, twofold. One, it's hard to force children to do something that they don't like. I will admit that.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so with my children, I always let them choose an instrument because I personally feel like music is important. We, we're living in an age where, you know, kids uh, are on their phones a lot. They're on playing, you know, Xbox and or whatever the latest technology is. And so they're sitting in front of screens They're watching movies. And so, you know, when you do that hour by hour by hour, sometimes our brains just become numb. And I think music is an incredible tool for the mind. It's an incredible thing to discipline your mind and discipline, you know, your life in general. And so, um, as I said, it's hard to force kids to do something they don't like, but that's why they have parents. And, you know, they don't like algebra either, but we don't let them quit. And so I am a firm believer that music is a wonderful tool that when they're, you know, past that age where, you know, they start something and want to quit, those those young years, those teen years, when you're in your 30s and 40s, I've talked to many people who look back and say, I'm so glad I stuck with it. And then I have those people that walk up to me and say, I hate the day that I ever quit. Mm. My mom wanted me to do this, and my mom wanted me to stick with it, but I, I just hated it so much. I wanted to play sports, and I'm all for sports, absolutely, and I think that's a great outlet as well. But let me tell you, I found out something. When you're 70 or 60 or 50, your knees don't work as well. <laughs> <But> your, fingers, <laughs> a lot of time, your fingers a lot of times will, and your mind is still good, and uh, picking up a musical instrument is a wonderful outlet. And so I always tell the teenagers when they're at my concerts, especially the guys and the gals who are in piano or whatever instrument, but they love sports too. I said, sports is great. Do it all you can. But don't quit your musical instrument. Don't lay it down because you'll be glad someday that you stuck with it. And uh, that's kind of my philosophy. That's a little bit of a coming-around Robin Hood's aspiring to answer those questions that it's hard to force kids, but that's why they've got parents to help them stick to it. And in the end, I've never met a person that has regretted Mm. staying with a a musical instrument. I've never met one yet. Now, there may be somebody out there, but I've never met one.
2: Kim Collingsworth. Her book is called His Gift, My Story. Uh, Such a key part of the musical Collingsworth family. We have another segment with Kim. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged into the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and
1: FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Kim Collingsworth travels the nation with her family. Uh, producing Christian music, uh, well, it actually belongs in heaven. It's that, it's that meaningful and that's good. But, Kim, I'm curious about this. Um, can adults pick up the piano and start learning it from scratch as adults later on in life?
3: Absolutely. 50% of the battle is your want to, your desire. Do you want to do something? That's 50% of the battle. If you want to do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't care what age you are.
2: And do uh, can, can you need a teacher? Can you teach yourself?
3: Oh, I, I think a teacher is wonderful. I, th- I think a teacher is, yes. I, I think that's, you know, can you learn some things by watching other people and reading on the Internet? And Of course you can. Of course you can. But, you know, there's nothing like good instruction by a seasoned musician, and I think uh, instruction is important.
2: Kim, I want you to tell me about more about your children and how they came into this musical family. Uh, were I they were they born into it? Did they have musical gifts right from the start? How did it all happen?
3: Well, I have four children, three daughters, and one son. Their ages are 32, 31, 27, and 23. And uh, they were kind of born into it in the fact that you know, my husband and I, their parents, you know, that's what we did with music. But I tell you how they kind of, uh, started owning it and it started becoming a part of themselves personally was, uh, I played music in the house a lot. Good music. Good music that you could sing harmony to. And they kind of fell in love with it. And so it was a part of the daily, uh, you know, uh, atmosphere of our home. And, uh, our oldest daughter, Brooklyn, she, um, One day, I was sitting at the piano. She was two and a half years old, and I actually have this on a cassette. Now, that's dating me, but yes, I have it on a cassette. Uh, My sister and I were standing at the piano in our living room, and we we were singing a duet, and my daughter, Brooklyn, two and a half, was standing at the side of the piano just watching it, and all of a sudden, she just piped in and -hmm. began to sing the out, part. Well, I nearly fell off the bench, Pat. I... But I, I knew better than to make a big deal about it, so at the end of the course, I looked at my sister, and I said, go in my room and get my cassette player. And she went in and got it, and I told her, I said, push record, we're going to do that again and see if she does it again.
4: Mm.
3: We went back, sang the verse, and got onto the course, and sure enough, she chimed right in and sang the alto part. Well, you understand, I was ecstatic. I She's two and a half years old. My husband came home that night from work, and I said to him, she can sing. She can absolutely sing. She sang the harmony. And he was like, really? Well, that was kind of the start. So Brooklyn, by the time she was seven, she would sing the lead, and Phil and I would carry the parts around her. By the time she was 10, she was singing every night with us. That we were Every night that we were on, she was on. Mm. And uh, so... I kind of just that was kind of the first initiation and then the second daughter and then our son um, it just kind of happened that way and interestingly enough our son is the production manager he's in charge of all sound all of the lighting all of that because he, he has employees under him but he when he was a little boy he would sit there at the end of those concerts he would say help daddy help daddy help daddy that's what he would say he wanted to help him tear down the sound system mm. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't three years old. And my husband, that was back in the day before cordless mics. They had all, he had a spaghetti bowl up there of cords. <laughs> and he would stand in the middle of those cords, and he'd have one cord, and he would try to wrap it. And my husband would say to me, leave him alone. He's learning. Leave him alone.
4: <laughs>
3: because I would say, come on, Philip, get out of Daddy's way. He said, no, 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 leave him alone. And so that boy literally fell in love with sound equipment. <laughs> and has his own studio now, and, and you know, is a, a producer, or an engineer, rather, for different artists, and it was just kind of an involvement, path that they just, you know, it's what they were surrounded with, it's what they were immersed in, and they fell in love with it.
2: And now tell me about your grandchildren, who are moving into the world of singing, it appears.
3: <laughs> well, I have six of them now, and uh, they're on stage once every night, uh, come out and join us for a song. Our oldest granddaughter, Emma, is seven, and she sings a solo pretty much every night. Uh, And all I can say is uh, it's a wonderful addition, and if I knew the grandparenting was this good, I'd have done it first.
2: Kim, how do they um, go to school uh, traveling like this?
3: Well, we only have one in school. So um, our daughter, Brooklyn, homeschools her. Uh, I homeschool personally for 19 years, so she's kind of a chip off the old block in that regard. But uh, she homeschools her. But, Pat, we have a new tour model that is really, really uh, working well. We only do now three tours a year. We have taken our tour uh, down from 120 days a year to 90. That's not to quit. That's just to dig in for the long haul. And with the grandbabies coming on, schooling and that kind of thing, um, we do a tour in the spring that goes over nine weeks. We do a tour in the fall, which goes over nine weeks. And then we do a tour for Christmas that goes over 20 dates. And so that totals 35, 35, and 20, which is 90 dates total. And so that gives us about three months off in the winter. It gives us our entire summer off, three months off in the summer, and gives us about five weeks off in the fall. So you can see the structure of that tour uh, is giving our kids and married kids much more time at home to raise their families.
2: Kim Collingsworth is uh, with us of the uh, – well, the famous Collingsworth musical family, uh, who does all the booking, Kim? How do, how do you end up in these different uh, locations? Who does all that? That's a big job, right?
3: It is a big job. Well, my husband obviously, as you know, is the visionary of this whole thing. And then we are, uh, we are in connection with J- JRA Faith out of Nashville, uh, Jeff Roberts and associates. It's a booking agency there that takes care of all the logistics of that. And so, um, Mike Roberts, through that agency, is our guy, and he works closely with my husband, Phil, and they set up the venues, and then uh, I always say, I don't even know where I'm going almost from one week to the next. I just look at my calendar and make sure I know what time it starts and what time to get on the bus, and I show up.
2: Tell me about life on a bus, Kim. Uh, how do you get adjusted to that?
3: <laughs> you just like anything else. You just uh, you get a rhythm. You just... Uh, you know, uh, I have two different lives—lives—one at home and one at one here. Lifestyle, you know. And our bus uh, bus life is second and third shift. You sleep late in the morning only because you're up late after those concerts, greeting people and talking to people, which is a big part of the ministry. So it's not uncommon to hit the hit the bed at one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And so uh, I'll sleep a good eight hours so that I can keep my voice strong. Get up, and I start into second shift, which would be Uh, You know, getting outfits ready for stage, sound check, go to catering for supper, and then, um, you know, we have a prayer time together, and then we hit the stage usually at 7 o'clock every night. So you just get into a rhythm, and then when you go home, I go back to first shift. And I like to get up earlier and enjoy my full day at home. Uh, And, again, it's just normal is whatever God calls you to do or whatever you're doing in life. That's your normal. So you learn to – you just learn to adapt and adjust. You know, my mother used to say, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break.
4: Mm. I
3: said that should have been the 11th commandment.
4: Kim,
2: what is a typical audience like uh, when you travel?
3: Uh, in size or?
2: Size and makeup? And uh, who, who, are, who are these people in your audience? Uh, well,
3: I tell you, we've done this 23 years, and we have been blessed to have some amazing people that will come over and over uh, when we're in their area to hear us. So we sing to an average of about a thousand people a night.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, sometimes it's bigger. Last year we were in Branson, and there were 3,000 there. Now, that's not a that's not an every night crowd, but that was an amazing crowd. Uh, but it's, yeah, we would average it out to 1,000 to 1,200 people a night. Um, and we sing to some amazing, as I said, wonderful people that are diehard fans of gospel music. They love gospel music. And um, so, yeah, it's You know, it's different if you're in the South. Sometimes you've got more of a a rambunctious, more energetic crowd. Uh, Sometimes in the North, they can surprise you and be a little energetic as well. But, you know, again, it just depends on what area you're in in the the country as to what kind of a crowd it is. But some beautiful people out there, Pat.
2: Kim Collingsworth has been our guest. Make sure uh, that you get her book. Uh, his Gift, My Story. Go up to Amazon and, uh, and make sure you get that book. And while you're doing that, uh, my latest book is out. <clears throat> it's called Every Day is Game Day. <clears throat> and it's a 365-day devotional. Every devotion has a sports story, a sports anecdote, sports theme, and then it leads into the devotional part every day. Uh, Every day is game day. Kim Collingsworth, his gift, my story. We've got more after this uh, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment.
1: AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM
2: 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, Kim Collingsworth was our guest in that first segment. Uh, She's a key part of the Collingsworth musical family. Talked about her book, His Gift My Story. Brad Hansen joins us. He's in Jupiter, Florida, radio host, podcaster, advocate for healing children with correctable disabilities through Cure International. And his new book is out, The Men We Need. God's Purpose for the Manly Man, Avid Indoorsman, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. Uh, Brandt. I'm so happy to welcome you to Orlando.
5: Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks. How, how are you? Thanks. Great. I'm very well. Thanks. It's great to talk to you, Pat.
2: Brandt. why was it important to write this book?
5: I feel like there's a lot of deconstruction about masculinity, and I think some of that's good. We don't want to be toxic, so on and so forth, but amidst all the deconstruction, I don't know that there's been a construction. And I think you need one. Like, as a guy, if you're a younger guy or older guy, or even as a if you're a woman, like you've got to wonder, like, so what is distinctly good? Is there anything distinctly good about masculinity, and what is it? And I don't think a lot of people are able to articulate it, which is a tragedy. Um, so I'm taking a shot at it. And I think it's needed now, judging by the reaction to the book, like, a lot of people are walking around not quite sure what it is great masculinity looks like, what's life-giving for people.
2: Well, I think uh, the meat of this book, the six decisions that will set you apart, I want to dive into them, uh, Brant. Decision number one, forsake the fake and relish the real. What does that mean?
5: Well, this is a huge issue for guys, including me. Like, I, I grew up with video games, and I love them. And I'm not saying they're evil or anything, but it's not just video games, obviously. It's it's all sorts of fake things that are, they pay off in terms of dopamine more than real stuff. So it's very easy for guys, especially now. It's actually a phenomenon now. Uh, it's, guys become shut-ins, basically, to technology. They have pornography available. Uh, there's, uh, there's, robots that are being sold at record numbers to men um, that are that are fake women. So they get these fake relationships. They get fake accomplishment through yeah. video games, and, and it basically become shut-ins. And what I'm trying to say, because a lot of guys will respond, well, if I'm not hurting anybody, what does it matter? If, I, if I'm just doing this, who does it hurt? And my response is, you are hurting people because we needed you out here. Like, God God gave you skills and abilities and gifts and a personality that no one else has, and it's for a reason. And if you don't show up, society suffers as a result of it. So the idea that you're not hurting anybody, nobody is a vacuum like that. Um, so I'm trying to encourage guys to actually engage, and I'm also telling them, you have a specific role, and that is to be—it's it's the job that God gave Adam in the Genesis narrative, which is— keeper of the garden, to protect the vulnerable, to allow them to thrive and flourish and, and create a space for that. That's when we're at our best. Women recognize that. That's, that's what we are actually doing. So I'm trying to give guys a vision for that so that they understand, like, we, we actually need you to do this role. That, that's masculinity at its best.
2: Brand Hansen is our guest. <clears throat> the book, The Men We Need. Let's go to decision 2, Brandt. Protect the vulnerable. Explain that to us.
5: Yeah, I think that's I start the book actually with this example of a poster. I so saw I went to the University of Illinois and it was so funny cuz there was a girls' house across the street from ours is Christian House, on campus, but they gave us a tour of all their rooms, you know, before the first semester and they had the same poster in every girl's room. Mm. And it's the, be- it's the best-selling poster in history to this day, and it's a guy and he's sitting it's a profile shot, and I'm sure he's a good-looking guy, but there's a, there's a billion good-looking guys. And he's holding a baby. And I asked the girls and I've since read up on this the posters called "L'Enfant." It's kind of an artsy poster, this guy holding a baby. And I was like, What's, what, "What is the deal? Why is everybody swooning over this guy?" And I said, "It's not just the guy. It's the way the baby is looking at him. This baby is looking at him needing protection and looking at him. Hopefully like they're making eye contact and it resonates so much with women. I thought there's gotta be something deeply true about our role as men that women would want to draw that out of us. Like that's what we're for. Mm-hmm. So the, the baby feels the baby feels comfortable around him. The, it doesn't feel threatened. Um, feels like he'll be taken care of like this is this is our role and i think again as a keeper of the garden that's what gardeners do these are species in a garden that wouldn't survive necessarily in the wilderness if you're a good keeper of the garden these vulnerable species get to bloom and flower and flourish because you're there and you protect them from the enemies you help them grow you don't damage them yourselves like, so that's, I'm telling guys that this is, this is our best role. And that's a decision they need to make. Is this is, this is who I am.
2: Brad Hansen has written an important book. The men we need God's purpose for the manly man. Uh, let's get to decision three, Brant. Uh, be ambitious about the right things. Uh, I, I want you to uh, unpack that for us.
5: Guys can be ambitious, but if you're, and you know this, Pat, you've you've talked about this in in your writing and whatnot, but if you're ambitious about the wrong stuff, in the end, it's it's a tragedy. So what I'm telling them is to ask God for wisdom, because wisdom will tell you what matters and what doesn't, and what matters more and what matters less. Uh, For example, if you decide, you may be an ambitious guy about your career, but if you're not ambitious about your kids, you will regret that later on. Mm -hmm. Like like that's one of the Of all the dumb decisions I've made One decision I made Which was actually brilliant Was I took a low paying job So I'd have more time with my kids
4: Mm.
5: And and now they're out of the home But I had every afternoon With them available I mean We played and swam And went to the beach We didn't have any money But that was a good decision in retrospect, I can look back and go, I don't regret that. I'm trying to tell guys, you get one shot, especially talking to dads in this case, but you don't get you don't get do overs. So I'm trying to underscore like ask God for wisdom because it'll spare you the pain and regret you could have later on. And it'll spare you foolishness always brings pain, and wisdom gives life to you and then people around you.
2: Brant, this would be a good time to tell us for you to tell us a little bit more about your children. Uh, how old are they now, and uh, how are they doing?
5: Um, well, I think they're doing great. And I'm, I'm any dad, I love to brag. My kids are um, My father is about to give birth to our first grandchild. She and her husband live here in town. She works for Compassion International, um, and she's a brilliant young woman. My son just got out of the air force. He was an intel agent, mm. served in Af- served in Afghanistan, got his degree at Berkeley in uh, Russian literature and linguistics, and now he is at Yale Med School, um, and he's planning to be a surgeon. He wants to be a neurosurgeon, or orthopedic surgeon for Cure, this outfit that I work with. These hospitals. Um, so, he's a he's a smart kid. We're always. I'd be proud of him, honestly. He knows this. I don't care what job he would have. He doesn't have to be a doctor or whatever. Like my job as dad was to help form character. Mm. And and I'm very thankful for his determination. and like he's just a very focused guy. He doesn't give up easily. So very proud of him, obviously.
2: Brand Hansen, author of The Men We Need. Brant, we've moved now to decision four. Uh, Remember in this book, the six decisions that will set you apart. Decision one, forsake the fake and relish the real. Number two, protect the vulnerable. Number three, be ambitious about the right things. Here's number four, Brandt. Make women and children feel safe, not threatened.
5: Yes, this is huge, Uh, especially. Well, think about it. Think about it this way. We had a Me Too movement in this country, and it was all about uh, women feeling threatened. Again, I'm telling guys, your role as a protector and a keeper of the garden will make women feel more secure, not less secure. This is, this is our job. Your wife should feel, if you're married, that she should feel more secure because you're there, not threatened. But for a lot of guys, they'll say, well, I would always protect, you know, I'm, I'm a manly man. I would always protect if there's an intruder. You know, I would, I would spring into action and protect my wife. The reality is, though, that doesn't happen that often. Often, more often, unfortunately, we're the intruders. With our words, we can actually damage the people in our homes or our lack of action. We can make them feel less secure. But we should use our words. There's a primary thing that we do to actually build up our wives, build up. Our brothers and sisters. If we're in a, if we're you know not married, we're at home or build up the people around us rather than making the people around us feel less secure. And there's a certain amount of chaos. If men are passive, there's a certain amount of chaos that can fill a home. Um, or if men are acerbic, or you put you put your wife down, you're not verbally building her up. She feels less secure. Obviously, if you flirt with other women, you've made her less secure. Um, there's all sorts of ways we can make her feel less secure, but man, people thrive. Our, the people in our garden just thrive when they feel like they're secure with us.
2: Now, Brand, it's time to move on to the uh, next one, and the and, and I think these get more fascinating as we 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 move along. Uh, decision number mm-hmm. five: Choose today who you will become
5: tomorrow.
2: Uh, yeah expand please
5: well I, I use the example of when people are, are older they often become extremely what they were when they were younger it's just more obvious so you can become a life-giving source of wisdom you can become a, you know somebody that they're like oh what a saintly woman or man like and that's because of decisions that are made over time and the same thing goes if you're if you're bitter or selfish you can become you can wear it you can see it on your face by the time you're older like the the decisions you make when you're younger determine that trajectory. You can either become this source of life or you wind up being the angry guy at Walmart hitting people with your shopping cart like <laughs> you wonder how did that happen That's because they didn't watch their attitudes or they didn't pray for wisdom they didn't shape their character so I'm telling guys, look. If you're one degree off on a moon shot from NASA, you're one degree off. You'll be 4,000 miles away from the moon. You'll miss. Mm. Because over, over time, that trajectory becomes more and more pronounced. And C.S. Lewis made a great point about that, too. Like, eventually, you just become grumbled if you're a grumbler. It's it's tough to take, but like, you have to determine now what you're going to be later on. And I'm trying to tell people, too, is the biggest ingredient in that is what attention on. The only thing you really have to pay in life is attention. That's what you have. But if you put your attention on life giving things, things that are true and admirable and pure and lovely, like you put your th- your mind on the right things, things that are wise, you'll become like that. But if you're feeling, if you're putting your attention on on foolish stuff, that will affect who you're going to become and who you're becoming is incredibly important. That that's everything in life.
2: Choose today who you will become tomorrow. My guest is uh, Brad Hansen And folks, uh, there are lots of books written about men and for men, two men. But uh, this, one's, uh, this one's different. This one's a cut above. The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, Avoid Endorsement or Any Man Willing to Show Up is the subtitle. And let me tell you, when we come back after this break, uh, we're going to dive into decision six. Take responsibility for your own spiritual life. What God is looking for, loyalty. Uh, You know enough to act, act. The dangerous myth of as long as I'm not hurting someone else. Boldly ask God, sarcastically if necessary. Oh boy, I I can't wait for this break break to be over. In the meantime, folks, I want to remind you we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Orlando is now the 17th largest media market in North America with uh, no end in sight and uh, ready to be a big league baseball city. So go up to the website, it's OrlandoDreamers.com OrlandoDreamers.com And just check in. We need to show Major League Baseball that there's a real clamor here uh, to become a baseball city. OrlandoDreamers.com Okay, Brad Hansen. We got more with him right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment.
1: AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990
2: and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, as advertised, uh, Brent Hansen is now going to address decision number six in his book. Take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Its all yours, Brent?
5: Yeah, this is whenever you talk about this kind of thing, I think it's it can be discouraging for guys, and certainly for me too, because uh, a lot of us, and this could be women too, but a lot of us don't relate to God very emotionally it's It's the opposite. like some people get very emotional, they can go to a church service, and it's it's an emotional thing. they get goosebumps, and that's wonderful but for a lot of us, especially if you are married. I'm not talking exclusively to guys that are married, but if you are, you might notice your wife has a completely different reaction to things than you do. But she relates to God differently, and that's how relationships work. And I'm trying to tell guys, like, don't worry about emotions. Don't worry about it. If you're not feeling God around all the time, it doesn't change anything. He's still there. He still loves you. Our emotions come and go. They don't determine truth at all. So I wouldn't worry about that, but what I am telling them is, like, God's not looking for emotion. See, that's not what he's asking for. Consistently, like in the Bible, he's looking for loyalty, like a, a a believing loyalty that is steadfast. And so even if you are a somebody who messes up and is a sinner like me, I keep going back every day anyway. I start the day I'm walking my dog. That's my, my, my trigger, like when I'm walking my dog, like I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend some time talking to God about what we're doing together today. It's this believing loyalty, but I keep seeing that honored in the stories in the Bible. Like Everybody's a mess in the Bible, these people, but the guys who keep going back and don't give up, whether they're feeling it or not, God honors them. And that's what I want. So I'm I'm trying to make sure the guys don't feel too discouraged, because sometimes that happens where you can— start thinking because you're not feeling this presence of God around like other people do or something. There must be something horribly wrong with you. And that's just not true. That's just something our culture has done because our our culture at large is very feelings oriented. So no one, I'm I'm trying to tell guys too, like nobody's going to do this for you. Like if you want to engage God and ask him, he's always like, ask me for things, ask me, if you want to do that, you can, but nobody's going to do it for you. I am literally asking God every day, please help my words be a blessing to people. I don't feel like I'm up to the job. I don't always know what I'm doing, but please use me anyway. But that's, that's the conversation I'm having out loud as I'm walking the dog
4: yeah.
5: each morning. And I had to come a long way on that. I try to encourage other guys to own that relationship with God, because it's not going to happen vicariously. And you're missing out on this opportunity to have the best meeting of your day with the most powerful entity available in the universe. Like, that's, why would you want to miss out on that? (laughs) Don't, don't. And talking with him about what we're partnering together to do, I think is the best way to conceive of that prayer. Like, he's my partner. He's obviously the king. Uh, He's my authority. But he partners with us in what we're doing, and I love that.
2: Brant Hansen, the author of *The Men We Need*, uh, Brant, the conclusion of your book, it says a final word about Adam, and us. What What are you writing there?
5: Well, I say I started the book talking about Adam and how he was given this job that Eve was not given. It's a specific job; it's the keeper of the garden, and he blows it. He was supposed to protect the the his his wife. He's supposed to protect. Garden, and he doesn't. In fact, what shocked me is like if you look actually look at the story in in Genesis when Eve is talking to the enemy and the enemy's damaging her, Adam is right there. I always thought he was like a mile away naming the animals or something. I didn't know what he was doing, but he's actually he's he's actually right there with her, saying nothing, saying nothing, and not doing anything to intervene. And then she has to hand him the fruit. He, it's, he's so passive. He's so passive. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And God holds them both responsible for it. Like, Eve is this incredibly important person. She's described, her her job is azer, which some people translate as helper, but it really means rescuer. That's the way it's translated elsewhere in the Bible. That same word is applied to God himself. So she's incredibly significant. He's incredibly significant. They both fall short. They both sin, but... God comes into the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? He specifically calls out Adam because he made it to be a protector. And he failed. He did not show up. I wanted to conclude the book. I know a lot of guys can read what they said. Well, I've never done this before. I need to I need to do better. Or You can take it as a guilt trip. It's not a guilt trip at all. It's an opportunity to get change. It's an opportunity to bring life to the people around you. But what I wanted them to know is even in the end... When you see the genealogy of Jesus, it all goes back to this guy Adam. He's still included. He's still honored, even though he was a failure <laughs> in many ways. Like mm-hmm. that's how good God is that that we we can we have blown at all of us, but but He still loves us. So I wanted to leave it on that note that He's that God is that good for us.
2: Brant Hansen, the author of the men we need. Brad, how did you decide on the six decisions that will set you apart? Are, are there are there well, more? Are there more? Perhaps
5: there might be, but I, I know Jordan Peterson has twelve rules for life, and uh, I figure his IQ is double mine,
4: <laughs> and mine's about half
5: <laughs> it. So I thought I'll just do six, but actually, actually, I did want to have a, a shorter list than than longer, and I'm pretty happy with the list as it is because I think. I think they're they're pretty all encompassing to give a vision for how to live and it's concrete and I keep the chapters short too because I know particularly for guys that want to read like just just tell me you know what you think don't and I'm I'm trying to be directly hopefully I am asking God please let this be direct wisdom that's life-giving for guys and doesn't waste anybody's time so that's the goal with this book and I'm I'm hoping people will want to give it to young guys at graduations or father's day or birthdays or whatever. Cause I do think that we have a crisis here where guys can't even articulate what, what masculinity actually is at its best.
2: Mm. So after reading the book, Brant in an ideal world, what what difference does it make to a man? How how would he, how would we see what this book has done in his life practically?
5: He would, he would not be a needy man anymore. Mm. there's a lot of needy guys who are older and it's 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 kind of ugly honestly like i want to be somebody who i can listen patiently like you're doing with me right now like you're not trying to say well i here's me i have to like you're, you're just you're listening and learning a lot of guys even as they get older are still needy it's it's painful to watch but i don't want to be that way so i I want to change this trajectory so that I can be life-giving again for the people around me. It doesn't always have to be about me. Uh, psychologist Larry Crabs said, if you line up a hundred guys, like 90 of them are needy. And I know we're broken people, but I also know we can change. So I think that's what it would look like. And people would feel secure around you and know that you're not just chafing and striving for significance your entire life, just constantly. Like you can, you can reach a point where you're actually secure and that security radiates outward, and it, it literally can radiate through generations, as you know. And that is a beautiful thing.
2: Brandt, what's your definition of needy?
5: I'd say uh, again, still striving for significance instead of instead of being secure with who you are as as somebody loved by God. You're still trying to prove something to everybody so they can see you. And it, I think there's, I, I think crab is right when he says that most of us, that's that's most of us. And I think as we get older, hopefully we get less needy because it's, it gets, again, it gets really ugly when we're older and we're still all about ourselves.
2: Brad Hansen has been our guest. His book, the men we need God's purpose for the manly man. What a read. What an interview. It's been wonderful. Um, Thank you. Now, folks, uh, uh, go up to Amazon and and order the book, The Men We Need by Brant Hansen. While you're at it, uh, my most recent book is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-day devotional, and every devotion, every daily devotion has a sports story or anecdote or sports theme. And then the, it leads into the devotional part. I think I think you'll be blessed by it. Uh, we've got a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More
1: of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM
2: 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks so jo- much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In the first segment, uh, boy, we had a good show today. I really felt good about it. Kim Collingsworth, uh, award-winning Southern Gospel inspirational musical artist and a key part of the Collingsworth family musical group and entertainers. Terrific. And then Brent Hanson, he's got a good book, folks. It's called The Men We Need. God's Purpose for the Manly Man. and uh, So uh, I'm so pleased that we could uh, have both of them. And uh, again, let me just mention, we need your help in trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. Uh, Go up to the website, OrlandoDreamers.com, OrlandoDreamers.com, and just check in and say, yes, I like this idea. We need to show Major League Baseball that there's an enormous amount of interest down here. Well, folks, we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this
1: week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.